Tonight, we're discussing Outlander. We're ranking all of the seasons, including season six so far. The Batman, holy hell, was that a swing and a miss. And finally, we'll be inviting two guests on later to discuss cancel culture. What is it? What is its place in society? And when does it go too far? This is Did Y'all See That? Welcome, 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 everybody, to Did Y'all See That? I am your host, Ngozi Mai, the Jingle VTuber. Thank you all for tuning in to episode two of our podcast. We have a lot to get through tonight, but first, the rundown. This show is split up into two one-hour parts. The first part is Pop Your Culture, where we discuss various pop culture from the past month or beyond. And then the second part is called Talk Gozy to Me, where we'll invite a special guest or two onto the show for an interview as well as a hot-button discussion topic. Now, feel free to comment away throughout the show, but I just can't, I gotta tell you, I can't promise that I'm gonna be reading the chat too closely the whole time because I got a script that I'm getting through. Uh, But I will try. There will will be spoilers during the pop your culture part of this show so if you see this image pop up then know that we are probably talking about something that you could be spoiled on so i recommend muting the stream by default if you see that image and shooting a message in the chat asking what we're talking about before unmuting and then once the image goes away we're probably safe. At the end of the show, we're going to be going over questions that you can all submit. So type in Q&A, Q&A in the chat uh, for the link to that, and feel free to submit questions as we go, especially during our hot button talk or hot button discussion issue. I, I know we are going to have some stuff to say. It is a really juicy topic, so feel free to submit throughout the show. With all that out of the way, let's get started with pop your culture. All you bubs pop your culture like this. Tell me about it goes you work that shit. All you bubs pop your culture like this. Tell me about it goes you work that shit. Okay, let's get started with the first segment of our show. We've got a couple of different small segments that we go through here. The very first one is going to be throw it back. So in this segment, I'm going to talk about a show that's been on the air for a long time. And I'm gonna tell you about the seasons, kind of give you an overview of the plot, and then we're gonna rank the seasons from best to worst. This month's show is Outlander. We are talking about Outlander and we're gonna go ahead and upfront go spoiler alert, honey, we are spoiling shit. So if you wanna watch Outlander, maybe mute the chat or mute the stream. To be honest, most of what I talk about are just the high level plot points throughout the show. Um, There is a lot of shit that happens in this show that I am not going to even mention tonight. So even if you watch the show tonight, even if you listen to the podcast, uh, you could probably still watch Outlander and still like love it because there's there's just so much. There's so much that happens. I gloss over a lot. Let's dive right in. Season one. We open on Claire Randall in 1945, just after she just got done serving as an army nurse for the Second World War in England. She and her husband, Frank Randall, who is a historian, visit Scotland on holiday. She finds herself at these strange stones in Inverness, which is a town in Scotland, 
And she touches the stones, and she's suddenly transported 200 years in the past. There, she meets Jamie Fraser and the Highlanders, and she's forced to marry Jamie and fit in with 18th century Scotland. She and Jamie unexpectedly fall madly in love with each other. Jamie is a wanted man by the British army, particularly the sadistic monster Jack Randall, who henceforth I'm going to refer to as Evil Jack because he's a son of a bitch. Um, and funny enough, he is a direct descendant of her present day husband, Frank Randall, and it's actually played by the same actor, so they looked identical. Um, Evil Jack becomes obsessed with Claire and Jamie, and he actually captures Claire, which prompts Jamie to offer himself in, in, in exchange for Claire's freedom. After Jamie does that, he is brutally, brutally assaulted physically, mentally, and sexually by Evil Jack for days until Claire and the Highlanders arrive to save him, and they presumably kill Evil Jack by having him trampled by sheep. LOL. Jamie is severely traumatized by this, but after Claire warns him that the impending Battle of Culloden, which is a historical battle that actually happened, is going to mark the end of the Highlanders, Jamie vows to somehow stop the battle and save his kinsmen. And that's kind of where season one ends. Season one was really fucking good. Like, I, like all of the shit I just told you was, like, maybe some details sprinkled in in episodes, but, oh, my God, it's, like, 14 episodes. It's going to blow your mind how much shit happens in this one season. This this season, like, really, like, put me onto this show. The only reason... I, I watched this show back in 2022, the first season, and I was hooked. But, the, sadly, the second season, which we'll get to in a minute, like, had kind of a rocky start, and it kind of made me fall off the show. But this this was so damn good. Oh my God, you fall in love with Claire. She's a great protagonist. She's very strong-willed and independent and smart as hell. And her time as a nurse in the, in the army makes it so that she has like healing abilities. So she's kind of, she takes on a role as, as a healer um, in, in, the, in, in Scotland back then, like teaching them about like really simple shit like germs and shit. Cause it's the 1700s. I don't know about germs, but like what the hell are germs? So you also fall in love with Jamie who is brave and young and, 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 and so head fast and headstrong and he is head over heels in love with Claire it is so fucking sweet something else that really pulled me into this show um, was the fact that, so it's a Showtime show and if you guys know Showtime and HBO shows are like all full of sex this show is no difference the difference with this show is that like every single sex scene every single consensual sex scene is designed for women to enjoy them like this is this book this the show is written off of a book series by Diana Gabaldon um and she's a woman that writes sex scenes for women and it's it fucking shows so this is a very solid number 1 like this is the jump start into the series this will get you hooked guarantee it and i didn't even really spoil a thing let's move on to season 2 <clears throat> season 2 Claire and Jamie arrive in Paris to begin a secret campaign to prevent the Battle of Culloden from happening by sabotaging the Bonnie Prince Charles's desperate attempts to raise funds for the war so his father can reclaim the, reclaim the English throne. We find out that Claire is pregnant, which is a happy, a happy occasion for both Claire and Jamie. Jamie is still deeply traumatized by his time with Evil Jack, but he feels comforted knowing that Evil Jack is dead. <gasps> Or is he? Ah, oh, dun dun dun! We actually find out that Evil Jack indeed survived, and he's in Paris too for some reason, and he's visiting his his dying brother in Paris. That's the reason why he's in Paris, which is still a, kind of a coincidence, but whatevs. 
So when Jamie finds this out, he vows to kill Evil Jack the next time he sees them. But Claire begs him, please, Jamie, don't kill him. He needs to survive at least up until the Battle of Culloden so that Frank's direct ancestor can be born, right? So Jamie, Jamie really tries his hardest to not fucking murder this guy. But he actually catches Evil Jack sexually assaulting James Young Ward, who's a little boy. His name is Fergus. And, and, and Jamie took him on as his ward. And fucking Evil Jack is a goddamn monster, and he was sexually assaulting him. So Jamie was just like, okay, dude, you're going to die now. So um, Jamie challenges Jack to a duel. Um, and when Claire finds out, she tries to stop them, and she miscarries. She miscarries their child. Uh, Jamie actually doesn't end up killing Evil Jack in that duel, but he does shoot him in the dick, which I thought was hilarious. Um, wrought with grief, Jamie and Claire return to Scotland, having failed to prevent the Battle of Culloden from happening, because Bonnie Prince Charles and, and ended up making the money instead. So they know that it's full steam ahead, it's going to happen, and they find out Claire's pregnant again. So Jamie forces Claire to go back through the stones to safety because if she stays in the present, if she stays in the past and the bottom clown happens, she's probably going to be killed and her baby too. So he forces her to go through the stones and it's a really heartfelt scene, them saying goodbye to each other because she knows that she needs to go, but she doesn't want to because she loves him so much. But she goes through the stones and she returns to the present. When she returns to the present, she's been missing for two years. She just disappeared. Remember, right? And she's been gone for two whole years. And now she comes back and she's wearing these strange clothes from the past. And she's extremely pregnant. So Frank, her present day husband, knowing that it's another man's child, agrees to take her and move them both to back to, back to, Amer oh, to America to settle, um, loving the child as his own. Claire is unbelievably heartbroken because she, she, knows, she feels that she left her love, the love of her life to die. Um, and she's kind of consigned to that fact and, and is in her, she feels like her mission in life now is to just raise the child, their baby. This was a rocky start. I'm not going to lie. It was a little bit boring when they first got to Paris. Um, and that's actually why I originally fell off. But the show actually really, the season really picks up a few episodes in and it ends up being so fucking good. Seeing Jamie deal with the trauma um, that he experienced with Evil Jack from the last season, it was a, it was really big for his own character development. It really put a lot of layers and maturity on him as a character. Um, also, the couple experiencing that tragedy of, of losing a child really solidified their relationship you know it felt like in season one it was very cute their relationship where they were just like oh i love you oh i love you oh i love you we're in love oh, blah, 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 like that it was very honeymoony but this this them sharing this tragedy in season two really brought depth to their relationship and it, and it kind of it just solidified it and it was really really cool to see that because honestly from this moment on you really kind of never doubt their love as if you doubted it before on and i honestly cried my fucking eyes out oh my god in the scene where Jamie and Claire are, are saying goodbye to each other. It's a long scene. It's like something like seven or eight minutes long and they don't want to leave each other and they're just telling each other and they're just like holding each other and kissing each other and knowing that this is goodbye because Jamie thinks he's going to die and Claire thinks he's going to die and they're like, we're never going to see each other again. And it was, oh my God, they acted the fuck out of that scene. They acted the fuck out of that scene. This season would very nearly be number two on my list if it was not for a later season. This season was so strong, but there is another season later that is stronger. And that's why this is number three on my list. 
Season three, we begin the season following Claire in the 20 years after she came back to her present. She has her baby shortly after coming back, and she names the baby Brianna, or Brie, after Jamie's father, Brian, but Frank doesn't know that. She tries to live her life as a housewife, but quickly went, fuck that, and then went to med school to become a surgeon instead, which, badass Claire, love her. She and Frank are intensely unhappy in their marriage, despite really trying to be married and trying to be parents to Brie. But Frank, for one, is, like I've mentioned, he's played by the same actor as Evil Jack, so he unintentionally it repulses her every time he tries to touch her. Like, she, she, she just can't not, she cannot unsee Evil Jack's face in him because they look the fucking same. So that's part of it. She doesn't even want to touch him. And number two, she's very obviously in love with someone else. Like, you know... If you're in a relationship and you know that other person's heart is not in it, you know. And as a result, Frank is super unhappy and he's really lonely. Um, and he actually asks her for divorce, divorce eventually. 20 years later, he asks her for divorce. Unfortunately, right after he did that, he was killed in a car accident. Really tragic. Um, Brie is grown now. She's a grown woman now. She's in college to go going to college for history and because she really respects her father. She loves she Frank is the only father she ever knew. So she loves her father so dearly, and she is devastated when Frank is killed in a car accident. Um, her being a historian, she finds out that her parents were lying to her her whole life about Claire going back in the past for two years, um, or, or in his eyes, disappearing for two years. Um, she, so when she finds that out and she realizes Frank wasn't even her father, she digs deeper and she employs the help of a man named Roger. And Roger was a little boy living in this uh, ministry, living with this minister that took Claire in when she first came back to the present. So basically, like, Claire came back to the present and this minister took her in to, like, let her live there until Frank got there. So that's how Roger is in Involved in this. Um, Roger's now grown too. Um, so they find out that Jamie survived. Jamie was, a, Jamie didn't die in the Battle of Culloden. And they found like documents saying like where he was. And when they tell Claire about that, Claire decides, yeah, fuck the present. I'm going back to my man. And she goes back to the past to, to go try to find Jamie. So let's put a pause in that story for now. Let's flash back to the Battle of Culloden, which failed, you know, as Claire said it would. Jamie accepted that he was going to die because the love of his life is gone. So he's like, I don't fucking care about life anymore. So he went to the battle fully expecting to die. And he killed Evil Jack. That was so satisfying to see Evil Jack just get stabbed in the fucking, like, the gut. I thought I already had enough satisfaction seeing him get shot in the dick. But getting him stabbed, that was just, oh, my God. That was such such sweet sweet release. Um, After the battle, Jamie is badly wounded. He and the other Highlanders that fought in the Battle of Culloden are branded as traitors um, to the crown. So they are all transported to a prison called Ardsmuir. Um, and in that prison, uh, Jamie kind of beca- he kind of gets a lot of respect from the prisoners. You know, he, they they see him as Amakdu, which is like kind of, which is kind of like like royalty. Like they kind of just dub him their leader. Um, and he actually also gets very close to the warden of the prison, who was a redcoat officer named John Gray that he actually met um, much earlier in the series. But that's a that's a detail I'm going to leave out so you guys can watch the show. Uh, you guys like that one. He can he uh, so because he befriended John John Gray. John Gray had connections with uh, some wealthy mm, benefactors, and he actually got uh, Jamie out of prison and. Uh, he got him a position in a fancy mansion as a groom, which is kind of a valet. Like, it's just a, a guy that is, serves the master of the house. Um, he's uh, manipulated 
or more coerced into conceiving a son with the daughter of the house. Um, pretty much, he said, "If you don't fuck me, I'm gonna get you fired." And he's just like, "Well, best like, best we get fucking." So <laughs> they conceive a son, and the son's name is Willie. But the son can never know that Jamie is his real father. And Jamie actually got to like raise the son a little bit for the first six years of his life. But they act they decided that Jamie needed to leave at that point because eventually the son was gonna start looking in the mirror and then looking at Jamie and going, "Hmm, something ain't right here." So they decided that Jamie should leave. Uh, so Jamie is eventually pardoned totally, and he finds work as a printer in Edinburgh. One day he's working in his shop, and a familiar face appears in his shop. And he and Claire are finally reunited after 20 years. Jamie didn't think he'd ever see her again. It was so, I cried. He actually fainted. He fainted at the sight of her. It was adorable. Um, excuse me. So that's like actually the whole, that's all of the, what I just said happened in the first fucking seven episodes of the fucking season. There was like another seven episodes. There was an entire arc. This is when it went off the rails. This is why this season kind of gets a little bit lower on the list because it was great up to that point. But then after this, there's like a whole arc where, where Jamie's son, Ian gets kidnapped by pirates and, and Jamie and Claire have to cross the ocean to Jamaica to go get Ian back and buy him back from slavery. And then, uh, like uh, Claire got kidnapped at some point by a different ship and then she jumps overboard in the middle of the ocean and floats to a random island and almost dies from exposure and then Jamie's ship just happened to land on that island just happened to land on that island and and like save her and then and then like after they save young Ian their ship gets into a storm and Jamie and Claire get like jettisoned off overboard again in the middle of the ocean in the middle of a storm but they survive somehow and 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 wash up on the shores of North Carolina and then they were just like shit I guess we live in North Carolina now it was just weird it was a weird choice it went off the rails at the second half of that season so that's why like i i loved jamie's story like i think claire's story was actually a little bit boring um in 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 the season but i think her story really the purpose of it was to introduce um uh, brie and roger because they actually become uh, regular characters later in the series uh so i think that was really the point of claire's story um jamie's story was so good Jamie's story was so fucking good. Like, oh my God. Um, it was so nice to see Jack Randall get fucking killed. Uh, but that whole pirate arc was ridiculous. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, so because of that, the whole latter half of the season was like just laughably bad. I had to put this, the season at number five. I just, oh God, it just went off the rails. Um, but moving on to season four, we open on Claire and Jamie now settling in the new world as Jamie is granted 10,000 acres of land in North Carolina and it's called to be called Fraser's Ridge. So they're in America now. They help a man named Stephen Bonnet escape as execution only for that man to betray and rob them of everything that they have, including Claire's wedding ring. Keep that in mind. In the present, Bree and Roger begin to date, but Roger totally freaks Bree out because uh, he asked her to marry him after like dating for two months because he want they wanted to fuck, and he said, "I can't have sex until we get married." So, can you marry me? And Bree was like, "No." So <laughs> they broke up. Um, Roger, being a historian himself, historian himself finds out that Claire and Jamie die in a fire only a couple of years after Claire returned to him. So he, he finds out that Brie, he wanted to tell Brie about this, but he actually found out she already knew. And she already went through the stones to the past to try to warn her mother. So Roger has the ability to go through the stones as well. I'm not going to tell you why. Go ahead and watch the show so you can find out why. Um, so he follows her through the stones. 
Bree is able to make it to the New World pretty quickly. Because remember, the stones are in, in Scotland. So they when they go through the stones, they're in Scotland. So they have to find a way to get to the Americas from then in 1769. Like, it's it's not easy. <laughs> um, but Bree actually makes it over there pretty quickly because she's able to find her uh, Jamie's, Jamie's uh, sister and brother-in-law. Um, and and tell them, hey, I'm your I'm your niece, and then they give her a bunch of money, so she's able to get over pretty safely. Roger, however, didn't think things through, and went to the past with no money, so he had to uh, sell himself into indentured servitude to none other than Stephen fucking Bonnet, because Stephen Bonnet is a pirate and owns a ship, so he he's under Stephen Bonnet's employ. Um, he finds out that Bonnet is a is a total monster. A total fucking monster. Apparently, there was one person on the ship that had the pox, um, and he threw her overboard. Then he decided, if anybody on this ship has so much of a fucking sniffle, they are getting thrown overboard. And he just starts throwing passengers overboard. And Roger finds, like, a young woman and a, and a small child who happens to have the same last name as him. They're from the same clan. So he's just, like, he tries to save her um, and hide her under the ship, and it gets him in trouble with Stephen Bonnet. So he's got bad blood with Stephen Bonnet. When they land, Roger and Bree reunite, and they actually marry Handfast. And Handfast is kind of a temporary, a temporary man- marriage. Um, you're, you're legally married in the eyes of God for a year, and then, but you have that year in order to make it to get into it in front of a priest and make it official. And they finally fuck. They sit. They sleep together first for the first time because now they're married. Um, right after that happens, though, Bree and Roger get into a huge fight because Roger's just like, "Okay, Bree, let's go the fuck back to the present. The past is dangerous. We shouldn't be here." And Bree's just like, "No, I have to. I have to warn my mom. She's gonna die." And then they get into a big fight and they separate. So after that happens, Bree goes into a bar and she actually finds Stephen Bonnet playing around with her mother's wedding ring. Remember, he stole it from her. She tries to buy it back from him, um, but he's a son of a bitch, and he actually brutally rapes her and gives her the ring as quote-unquote payment. It's a really fucked up scene. We, uh, she finally, after this happens, the next day, really, really fucked up thing happens, she does finally run into Jamie, and she tells him who he is, and that moment made me cry. It was just so beautiful. So beautiful because Jamie, Jamie's sitting here thinking I'm never going to see my daughter. Like I can only rely on what Claire tells me. And he saw his daughter for the first time. He saw his face and her daughter's, his daughter's face. And it was so beautiful. And they reunite with Claire too. It's a really touching moment. Roger tries to find Brie at the same time, like pretty much like that next morning. Um, But Stephen Bonnet forces him back on the ship to finish his servitude. So it's not even it's more it's like a couple of more months later before Roger can even he's all he has to sail all the way up to Pennsylvania and then find his way all the way back down to North Carolina. Like it takes a couple more months. Unfortunately, due to a misunderstanding, when Roger finally makes it to Frazier's Ridge, Jamie mistakenly thinks that Roger is the one that raped Bree. And he beats the shit out of Roger and has him sold, sold into slavery with the Mohawk Native, Native Americans. When Bree finally tells Jamie of his mistake, Jamie and Claire and um, Jamie's nephew Ian travel, the one that got kidnapped by pirates, <laughs> uh, travel all the way up to upstate New York to get Roger back. Meanwhile, Bree is pregnant. Bree is pregnant and she does not know if the father is Bonnet's or Rogers, and she kind of thinks it might be Bonnet's because Roger pulled out, Bonnet didn't. So she visits Bonnet in prison, who is, he's imprisoned again, because he, he's about to get executed again, because he's a fucking bastard. And she tells him off, but she also informs him of his child, kind of like to spite him a little bit, like just, I guess, does it bring you 
comfort knowing that there is something that's going to be in the world after you're gone. That's how, that was kind of her <clears throat> her philosophy for that. Ian up in New York trades himself to the Mohawk um, in in Roger's place, and then Ro Roger is finally able to be reunited with Bree. He vows to love that boy, Jimmy, that baby boy, as his own, whether it's his or not. This season was so good. This season was so fucking good. This is the reason why season two is not number number two on this list, because this season is number two. I was I was engaged every second of this season, every second of the season. The only reason why it's not number one is because number season one is number one. So this is the season to watch. This is the season, like, watch this show so that you can get to the season. Okay. Season five, we open on Brie, by the way, there's six seasons, and season six is like halfway done right now. Okay. Season five, we open on Brie and Roger's wedding. So they're finally married for real, for real. A rebel group called the Regulators, which is a group of Scottish settlers in the New World, um, begins rebelling against the Redcoat occupation due to unfair taxes. Jamie is tasked by the governor, the Redcoat governor, with amassing a militia amongst Fra Fraser's Ridge to quell the rebellion. Claire tells Jamie about the impending revolutionary war that's about to happen, and he warns them that they maybe don't want to be on Britain's side when that happens. So keeping that in mind, Jamie helps the Redcoats for the time being, but in the back of his mind, he's like, this ain't, we're not going to be on their side much longer. So Roger and Bree think that they are unable to go through the stones that go back to the present because Jimmy's now here. They were further afraid that Jimmy, the baby, won't be able to go through the stones. So like, like if they try to, maybe Jimmy just gets stayed left behind on the ground or something. So they would just decide, OK, we just live here now. The group finds out that Bonnet is still alive. He evaded execution yet again. And they decide, yeah, we need to kill this motherfucker. So Bonnet, now exonerated, is start, has begun amassing influence, influence in North Carolina. And he intends to claim Jimmy as his own son because Jamie's aunt Jocasta, who owns this huge plantation and all this wealth, has signed all of her wealth in her will and made Jimmy the heir. So now Bonnet's like, oh, I want that shit, so I'm going to make him my son. So the group are like, ha, no, that's not happening. So they're finally, the whole arc happens, I won't spoil it, but they are able to finally kick his fucking ass and doom him to be executed via drowning, which is actually his greatest fear. So that was great poetic justice. However, Bree shoots the fucker in the head anyway. So that's pretty poggers. By the end of the season, Jamie's militia was has successfully quelled the re regulators at the cost of the life of Jamie's godfather and best friend. Uh, I won't say who that is because I think that'd be something that you guys should watch. <laughs> Uh, Jamie declares his loyalty to the crown as over. He has no more loyalty to the, to the crown. He is a free man living in a free nation. After the battle, Claire is... Okay, this is the part, the reason why this... Because this season was actually pretty good, but this little thing I'm going to tell you right now is what put this season so fucking low on this list for me. After the battle happens, this is the last episode of the season, Claire is suddenly kidnapped by a band of men because she had been publishing articles under a pseudonym teaching women how to prevent pregnancy, among other things, too. Like, it wasn't just that. Like, it was also, like, how to keep your hands clean, wash your hands, there's germs. But it was also telling women about their cycles and how they, how they can prevent pregnancy. And the men of the area did not take kindly to that and decided the way to punish her was to brutally beat and gang rape her, um, which I... I will get to this in a minute. I, I, I have a, I have huge problems with how this show treats rape. Uh, we will talk about it in a minute. Um, but basically, uh, the men of Fraser's Ridge all 
fucking killed every one of those guys, which was actually a badass fucking scene. They were all like suiting up and shit, getting all badass. We're like, we're going to fucking kill them. And they killed every last one of them, which was awesome. But this whole ordeal left Claire intensely traumatized, which, of course, it fucking would. This was the season was great, honestly, like seeing Bree and Roger adjust as new parents in the 18th century was really cool as a development in their own arcs. Like they were young people coming to the past and trying to like survive back here and 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 not knowing, I guess, the rules, you know, like there's actually a point like you remember that young mother, the young mother that um, Roger tried to save on the ship. He actually comes across her again during that battle with the regulators because that young mother's husband is one of the regulators. So he tried to warn her, be like, hey, this battle is not going to go in your favor. You guys need to get out of here. And he he got too familiar with her because he wasn't familiar with the rules of the time. So he gave her a hug. Her husband saw him hug her, got pissed and then dressed him up like a regulator. And then he actually got hanged. The Redcoats hung him as an example, thinking he was one of the regulators. But before he died, um, they were uh, like Bree and Roger or sorry, Bree and um, and Claire and Jamie were able to cut him down in time. But it left him traumatized as fuck because he almost died. He had a near death experience. Um, and that was a really, really like intense couple of episodes surrounding Roger and his own growth and, and, and really adjusting to the time. Um, I got the emotional beats were really hit here. Um, but that last episode killed it for me. Small tangent, this show, and this is a content warning, guys. My, I love this show. My biggest beef with this show is that it is far too liberal with its use of rape. And to the point where, like, every time, like, I, I get it. I get it. Of the, It's a product of its time, as in, like, the, 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 the 18th century was not a good place for women to be in. It happened. I know that. I acknowledge that. But I think that this show uses it as a plot device for the wrong reasons. Like, I understand that they had um, Brie sexually assaulted. I know why they did that. They did that to start the whole drama with who's the baby's, who's the baby's father. I get it. That's for, the, that's for the narrative, right? This happening to Claire didn't need to fucking happen. This wasn't even the first time that character's been raped in this fucking show. Like, so why the fuck do this to leave her traumatized? She's already traumatized. Shit. Like, I, I, there's just no reason. I was so fucking mad. I was so fucking mad. Like, like, why the fuck? Like, it, it just, it just, this whole season was great up until that point. It was like the last, like, 30 minutes of the last episode. I don't fucking know. Very, it was very lazy. I agree. I agree. It's very lazy. So, anyway, that's my tangent. This is number four on the list. It's not quite the worst, but God damn it, that fucking episode, that episode really fucking ruined it. Finally, season six so far. So, we open on Claire still being deeply traumatized, and she's now become addicted to ether because it's the only way for her to calm down when something triggers her, right? So the Revolutionary War is now growing ever closer, ever closer. The Boston Tea Party has happened. There are new arrivals that have come to settle on Fraser's Ridge, and they're all Protestants, and they want to make more Protestants. They're trying to proselytize everybody and make more Protestants. Jamie's like, keep that shit to yourselves. Jamie's not with it. Jamie's like, you know what? Protestants, you do you. Us Catholics are going to do us. Let's just be on the ridge together. Let's fucking keep religion out of it. But the Protestants are like, no, we need more religion. So there's like a little bit of tension. There's a little bit of tension there, especially because a lot of the existing citizens are being converted. So we're all like, oh, shit, this is good. We're going to be this now. They're going to be this kind of community now. And with Protestants and, and being very pi pious and whatnot, rumors start to circulate that Claire is a witch. 
because of her expertise in surgery and medicine. We remember Claire's a surgeon. And she has knowledge about things like how to make she learned she figured penicillin had not been invented yet by this time, so she decided to invent it. She invented penicillin. She invented ether to be to to use as anesthesia or anesthesis anesthesis. Excuse me, anesthesia. There we go. Sorry, that's the word anesthesia. Um, but the people are seeing this as witchcraft because <laughs> they don't understand it. Uh, so th I think that's kind of the, the theme of this season is just rumors, the power of mob mentality and, and rumors. After a dysentery epidemic breaks out, Claire falls deathly ill, though actually it was under suspicious circumstances because she did not have dysentery. She had a different ailment. So there's like some some foul play suspected here by a young girl named Malva. Malva is the daughter of that main guy that's a Protestant trying to convert everybody Protestant. And Claire takes her on as an apprentice um, to, to, uh, to, to be a, uh, like an assistant for her medicine to like, to do the anesthesia, anesthesia and stuff. I keep wanting to call it anesthesis. That's not the word. <laughs> so Malva gets real creepy. I got creepy ass vibes from this girl from the fucking first day, from like the moment she fucking started, like opened her damn mouth. I'm like, this bitch is going to do some crazy shit later. And she did. And she did while Claire was ill she decided to like push up on Jamie and make it seem like, oh, oh, Jamie's trying to like get at her. Not happened, not true. She turns out she's fucking all kinds of dudes. She was getting around. She was fucking all kinds of dudes and she got pregnant and then she tried to say, oh, it's Jamie's baby. And like, it like wasn't, but it didn't matter that it wasn't. It didn't matter that Claire believed Jamie because the rumors got started and everybody else believed it. And then Malva up and mysteriously gets murdered. She got her throat slit and the baby died too. And now all the settlers think it was Claire, but it wasn't. And that is where we left off. That was the last episode we saw. So honestly, this season, disappointing so far because everything I just told you was in seven episodes. You remember earlier on in one of the earlier seasons, I told you all kinds of shit that happened. And then I told you it was seven episodes. That was the, the pacing of this season is just so off compared to the rest of this show and all of the other seasons. Like it was just, they crammed so much shit, so much plot, so much narrative into 14 episodes. Whereas now we're halfway through on this one and barely anything's happened. So I'm going to put this one as a solid number six. It's still too soon to tell for sure. Cause like I said, it's only halfway done, but it, it's, it's not looking good folks. So that is my ranking. These are my rankings of all the seasons at the very least. You should at least watch the first five seasons and I will let you know, I will follow up on season six, but this is a great show, especially the first few seasons are so good. Um, and I really recommend watching it. And that is throw it back y'all. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our next segment of pop your culture. Gozy jams. So I am starting a new thing where I am going to curate a small playlist every month from the songs that kind of just sit into my skull. They're just earworms that just, I could not get out of my head for the month of April. So this, we, this month's Gozy jams, by the way, type in exclamation point Gozy jams in the chat for the link to this playlist. If you would like to listen to them, sit pissers, this is like a joke song from Lord Athelstan that I've been like fucking obsessed with all fucking month. Like, holy shit. I keep listening to the song on repeat. It's like objectively a good song. Plus it's super fucking funny. Then Rakuen no Kimi by Osterreich is another song. This is a, an anime, I think, closing or anime opening from Tokyo Ghoul. And I'm really obsessed with it. And spoiler alert, this was actually going to be my cover in June. So I'm going I'm to release a cover of this song in June. Odd Taxi um, from this is actually the opening song from the anime Odd Taxi. This is a really good like kind of 
like like lo fi kind of funky uh, R and B hip hop hip hoppy type of song. And then I'm not a killer from Evil Dead the musical. This actually came up in stream earlier. I love that fucking I love that show too. It's so good. Uh, and this came up. We, we were talking about Evil Dead the musical on a stream a couple of weeks ago, and then it just stuck in my head. And then finally, a little bit of self plug again by Ngozi Mai. My latest cover has also been on repeat for me. So. Type in exclamation point goes to champs for this uh, for this link and that is goes to champs. All right, let's move on to our next segment of pop your culture. We need to talk. In this segment, we will cover a movie or show that was a hard swing and a miss. And this week's or this month's culprit is the Batman. Oh, buckle up, folks. Good thing we still have spoiler alert here because guys, it's gonna be sorry. Spoiler alert. We're talking we're gonna be spoiling the fuck out of this. So just heads up if you haven't seen the movie. This is a spoiler full review for this movie. Let's get right into it. Let's start with the good. Let's start with the good. If we're gonna have kind of a negative-ish review, let's start with the good the good first. So the opening scene was actually a very good fucking start. I was very impressed with how with the, with how they how they executed the opening scene. Basically, it opens up on Gotham, aerial views of Gotham, and we're zo we're, we're zooming in on different crimes that are occurring, right? And all the while, Bruce Wayne, aka Batman, is narrating. He's doing a monologue, and honestly, I don't even remember the damn words in the monologue. It was just something, something dark and gloomy. Who the fuck cares? The point is, um, the the thing they're trying to get across is Batman is this known force of darkness that is coming for people that do bad things, and each of these crimes that are about to happen. Um, the, each of the criminals look up into the sky and they see the bat signal, the bat signal, this guy specifically, um, looks up and sees it. And then he look very slowly looks down and stares into a dark shadow expecting to see Batman. And the acting was so well done. You don't even see this guy's face. He's wearing a mask, but he sells the shit out of it that he is scared for his fucking life right now. I thought the opening scene was extremely well done. Um, and it wasn't even because of like the, the lead characters. It's because the, the background characters, they just really sold the fuck out of this. Jeffrey Wright's Gordon. I thought that Jeffrey Wright was one of the, the few bright stars of this movie. He was really committed to this role. He's one of the few roles in the movie that I felt actually had a real arc, you know, some real, like, growth from the start. At the beginning, we see him as kind of like uh, an idealistic cop. You know, he's a cop that really trusts Batman's ability to be a detective. He brings him in on crime scenes. He really trusts his colleagues, like his other fellow cops, like that we're all trying to do the right thing. But as this conspiracy unfolds and he starts revealing that his colleagues are actually dirty, they're all dirty cops and dirty politicians and dirty, dirty public figures, his demeanor really starts to change throughout the film. He starts becoming more desperate. He doesn't trust anybody now. He only trusts Batman. He's, he, he's, he's just trying to be a good cop, and but he's just try, he's, he's trying to uncover this conspiracy for the safety of the people, and he doesn't know who to trust anymore. And I really, really liked his portrayal of this. This was this was one of the few shining, shining stars in the film. Zoe Kravitz is Selena Kyle. Honestly, cards on the table, this character in the film was extremely poorly written. She, but Zoe Kravitz really made up for a lot of that slack. And there was a lot of slack, ladies and gents. Like, my God, 
Um, the biggest thing about her, if you've ever seen, folks, if you've ever seen other portrayals of Catwoman, you'll know that she's a very sexualized character. It's like a part of being Catwoman to be sexy, like, and honestly, overly sexy. Like, think of the other people that have portrayed her. Michelle Pfeiffer, Anne Hathaway, Halle Berry, even her portrayal in the Arkham, the Arkham video games. Like, she's always very over, oh, Batman, like very cartoony sexualized. Zoe Kravitz's sexiness in this is so natural. It's so natural coming from her. She's just naturally sexy, you know? You know, she really, like, brought the care, brought a new... I guess, vibe for Catwoman that I ha we really haven't seen before. It was very effortless coming from her. And, and she really sold this love interest with Batman, I think, a lot more than Robert Pattinson did. I think that between their, their dynamic, I think she gave more. I don't think he gave enough. Um, and, and quite frankly, her performance is the only reason why this character specifically isn't in the bad section that's going to come next, because they, they really fucked this character. Like, they pretty much reduced Selena Kyle as a bastard daughter of a mob boss that has daddy issues. Like, that's pretty much how they, they that, that's what they made the, ca the, the, the character into. And I think Zoe Kravitz did a really good job of uplifting that more to give that a little bit more depth because the, the writing did not do her any favor. So kudos to Zoe Kravitz. And then finally, Colin Farrell's Penguin. He was an unexpected shining star of the film too. I really wish he was in it more. He was kind of a bit character. We only saw him a couple, a handful of times. You honestly forget that that's Colin Farrell. <laughs> that's like some Irish dude. Like you forget it's him. He, he really committed to this character. And it was a really smart move on his part and the direction. Um, I have a lot of negative shit to say about the direction in this movie, but the direction for him was a very solid move because they very deliberately chose not to go the cartoony route like they did the last the last time we saw um the penguin on the silver screen was with danny devito's penguin in the 1990 1999 batman and he was a cartoon they actually like made him like a human guy that looked like a penguin and you know that worked for it because that's the vibe they were going for but kind of grounding the character more into a real guy like really was an unexpected change and it worked and he, he killed it i really really just wish that they would have had him in the movie more let's move on to the bad guys buckle up the riddler oh where they begin um for one <laughs> they were trying way too hard to make this villain like ultra edgy with the violence like i get it i get it that's where they were going for the darker route here I fucking get it. But I mean, they were trying way fucking too hard with this shit, making him like super just edgy. Like uh, that's like a note for the whole film. It's just like, just, it, it felt like I'm really convinced that Matt Reeves, the director of this film, every time any of the actors, cause these are great actors. I know that these are great actors. I'm pretty sure that they approached it in the way that they thought was right. But Matt Reeves, every time they would cut the scene, Matt would be like, we needed to be more edgy, more edgy, darker, gloomier, more brooding, largier, like every time to the point where it just felt so stilted. It felt so fucking stilted and forced. I was so it just totally took me out of the film, not to mention the whole film. We're meant to see Riddler's mission, you know, as uncovering lies made by the, the corrupt city politicians and public figures and the police, which I can buy that. That's no, that there's, that is not new to Gotham. Anybody that's seen any Gotham, any Batman comic book or animated film or animated show, 
like corruption is there. Corruption is 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 a part. It's it's it built into the blood of of Gotham. Gotham is a corrupt ass fucking city. So I buy that. I buy that. I buy that 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 goal of uncovering that. Right. Excuse me. But the what the what I think what the film failed to do was really establish these characters that they were killing off that the Riddler was murdering before murdering them because as a result we would they would murder some city council member and they would murder the district attorney and then they would murder the police commissioner and we didn't fucking care because we don't know who the fuck they are the police commissioner actually did appear on screen in one scene and we didn't even know he was the police commissioner until like at the end of the scene where they said okay commissioner like they seem like like it seemed like they just threw that in there just so that the audience can know that that's the commissioner right so as a result like we're sitting here like they're 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 trying to make it feel so uh, i don't know so so bad of a plot but it just didn't feel that bad it just felt like normal murder i guess i don't know they just didn't they didn't make me care about those characters and they didn't and it, and it made it so that we didn't really understand what the riddler's end game was um not to mention there's a whole like the whole last hour of this film totally goes left. We're going to get to that a bit, a little bit later. And that's what really mutters, muddies up the, the Riddler's like motive here. Cause it's really unclear. I would, I could, I would buy, I would buy that the Riddler just wanted justice and wanted to just uncover the conspiracies because the public needed to know. I did not get that from him. I did not get that as his goal, as his motivation. Like it just did, like it was a really poor, poorly thought out, arc for for this villain you know what makes a good compelling villain in my opinion is a villain that the audience can understand you may not agree with the villain's methods you may not agree with the villain's goals his end game but you understand them you know you understand where he's coming from that what he's i'm, I'm gendering but what that person what that villain desires you understand why they desire it that was never established for this character. That was never established. His entire plot, I guess, happened. Like, I, I guess, I guess, a conspiracy happened in Gotham, and and I guess he had some vague connection with it because Bruce Wayne's father, Bruce Wayne's father, had some public initiative that didn't benefit him as a child because he was an orphan, uh, and and also Bruce Wayne's father. Uh, indirectly got a reporter killed because that reporter reported something on Bruce Wayne's father's initiative. It was just like, it was, it was a mess. It was just a mess. It was a mess. Don't even get me started on after he gets caught, the Riddler gets caught and jailed two hours into this movie. This movie's three hours long. So the entire last hour of the movie, he's in jail. He's already out of the movie. And not, not only that, we find out when he gets caught, he's a 4chan incel. He's a 4chan incel with a plan to, to blow up seven dams in the city, which, why the fuck does Gotham have seven dams in the city preventing water from flooding the city? Why would you build a city there? Like, why would you do that? I don't know. It makes no sense. The whole motive is flimsy at best and murky as to why he's doing this. You know, it's just, it's... They, it feels like the Riddler, it feels like Matt Reeves wrote this with the ideas, I want to make a Batman movie. Okay, what's a, what's, a, what's a Batman villain that hasn't really gotten a lot of love lately? Oh, the Riddler. I want to make a Batman movie with the Riddler in it. And then he wrote a story around that. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I, the, I, the Riddler was just thrown in. He was just thrown in. And I think that it was just a, a huge missed opportunity. All right, let's move on from the Riddler. Robert Pattinson's Bruce Wayne 
Guys, Robert Pattinson is an amazing actor. I have seen him do some fucking magic on screen. And I am convinced that his lacking performance in this film is entirely due to Matt Reeves' direction. You know, it's overly emo and brooding and moody to the point where I, like, actively dreaded seeing him. Anytime his face would come on screen, I would, like, roll my eyes because, like, he... I just... I, I wanted to see any other character but him. And that's fucked up because the movie's called Batman. The movie's called... Like, that should not be the case, guys. If y'all are familiar with Batman in the comments, him being dark and brooding is not new. That is definitely on brand for Batman. There's a, definitely a place for that. But here's the thing. Whenever, like, Batman and Bruce in the, in the comics and in the animated films would have darkness to him, a very dark arc, it's because something informed that, you know? Like, whether it's being betrayed by Ra's al Ghul or mourning the, mourning the murder of Jason Todd after Jason Todd was brutally murdered by the Joker, you know? It, there, there's something that happened to him that informs that demeanor for him. And in this film, that's not established at all. The only thing we get is, okay, his parents were killed when he was a, when he was a kid. And that's for every Batman. Every Batman has that origin story. It doesn't feel earned. It doesn't feel like this dark and brooding like exterior that he's that he's exuding here. It doesn't feel earned at all. And it's certainly not established in the film. Certainly not established in the film. So I, I really can tell that Pattinson really tried his best here. Like I said, I'm pretty, pretty sure that the reason why this came off so one-dimensional is because Matt, Matt, Matt Reeves wanted it to be that way. I'm pretty fucking sure. Um, he did a great job as Batman when he was in his Batman scenes because, like, how the fuck do you fuck up Batman? You can't. It's deep voice, check. Kick ass, check. Excuse me, be emotionless, check. You can't fuck up Batman, but it was his Bruce. It was his Bruce that really killed the character for me because quite frankly, Bruce is, there's a place for a dark and brooding Bruce, not the way he did it. Not the way he did it. And honestly, the character even has a come to Jesus moment where he does turn around. He stops looking so gloomy, has, having such a gloomy outlook on life. The sad part, it came in way too fucking late in the movie. It should have happened way fucking sooner. And it happened in the third hour. And by that point, we were already like begging for the movie to be done. So we'll get we'll get back to that. Um, but that's Bruce. It was such a shame because Robert Pattinson's a great actor. The entire last hour of the film. Ooh, money. As I mentioned, this movie is three fucking hours long. And the entire last hour of the movie was entirely unnecessary. The movie could have stopped at hour two and it would have been a complete movie. You know, at the at the start of the final hour, Riddler is caught. He's in jail. The big conspiracy mystery is solved. Even the big bad that was at the center of that mystery is dead. So that that's close. We got closure on that. Selena Kyle gets closure on her daddy issues. All the dirty cops are arrested. All is well. They could have stopped. They could have stopped there. But no, no, they decided they, oh, no, we need another layer to this. So now the Riddler has one more dumbass card up his sleeve after he gets caught for some reason. His whole plot was seemingly around exposing this conspiracy, which he did. But now he suddenly decides to destroy the city. 
by destroying, blowing up all the dams, dams in Gotham and flooding Gotham and Gotham and killing as many as he can. And then once everybody that survives the initial flooding makes it to like the the Gotham Square Garden, which hello, that's hilarious. Gotham Square Garden, which is a big basketball arena, they all flock there. He's got his incel army because he's an incel social media influencer, guys. Did you know? <laughs> he gets his incel army to like infiltrate the mad the the Gotham Square Garden. And like, to, in order with the with the desire to gun everybody down, to just kill everybody, like, uh, what? <laughs> like his, his whole thing was to like expose that conspiracy, and now he just wants to kill everybody. That doesn't make any sense. Like, why? I don't know, man. I I don't know if there was like symbolism, like hidden symbolism that I just didn't get by this point. I don't fucking know because by this point in the movie, I was begging for it to be done. I was I was looking at my watch. I was actively fighting the fucking urge to get up and walk out of the fucking theater because i was so fucking that whole arc was an hour that whole arc was an hour so i just i the whole, they could have cut this out if they would have cut this fucking hour out of the movie i would have given this movie a six out of ten this movie this this last hour fucked it for me we'll get to the we'll get to my verdict a little bit later okay okay i'll move on i'll move on all right what could have been let's be a little let's get a little be a little positive here the cinematography was intensely beautiful it was so beautiful, guys. You could tell. You could tell that it was someone's job, someone very highly paid job to absolutely nail the principal photography and the cinematography of this film because it, visually, it looked beautiful. It was extremely well thought out. Every single shot visually was extremely well thought out, you know? The sad thing is that I think they really could have used that effort into making maybe the cinematography uplift the story because the story was so weak. The story and the characters and the plot was so weak and poorly executed that it ended up being a really bad movie that looked beautiful. And that's a shame because it really did look beautiful. This was one of my favorite, favorite shots in the film um, where he's the, the car accident happens and he's like slow motion walking toward the car upside down. It was just such a beautiful shot. And it's like wasted because the film was boring and uh, the plot was bad and it was poorly written. It was just it was just unfortunate. The plot it was re honestly weak, even for a standalone. Like, you know, there's like, there's, there's, there's definitely, like I said, the whole conspiracy theory, the conspiracy runs deep trope is not new to Gotham. That is definitely a, cons a, a consistent story told in the world of Batman. Um, it, it's just the, the whole motive was just unclear. It was unclear why the Riddler was doing this. It could have been, it felt like it could have been any villain. They could have copied and pasted and stuck any villain in his, in his place. And it wouldn't have changed much because it did not, it, it was not overtly clear why this conspiracy meant so much to him as a character. You know, we, we did not understand. Remember I told you like a, a villain is a good villain is one we can understand and we didn't understand him. Right. Um, I think the writer was just trying to do much in general with the Riddler, I think he just stuck him in there. I really don't think that there was any real thought about why the Riddler himself should be carrying out this plot. And I think that's a shame. <coughs> Give me a sec. Sorry, I just started like choking on my own spit. I think this movie would have been way better if they would have just cut Riddler, cut the Riddler out, you know, in all, in all honesty. It was just like inhaled my own spit. Wayne's coming to Jesus moment should have happened way sooner in the film. You know, like there's the, the moment at the end of the film when <clears throat> the flood is starting to take over 
Gotham Square Garden, and you see this shot right here where uh, Bruce is shepherding the people out of the water. It was a really beautiful shot and a really beautiful moment, but the growth happened too late because up to this point, no growth. No growth whatsoever from Bruce. And that's not good. You can't have the titular character not have any arc whatsoever throughout the whole course of the film. Only to the end. You can't, because they had already losses at this point. So it's just, it's just not good storytelling. Let's talk about the future. And honestly, <clears throat> where this movie fits into the DCEU, I don't think it does. I think this is a one-off. I don't see, I don't even see this Batman fitting in with, with our other Justice League characters. I wouldn't be surprised if they wrote this film off as to being its own, <clears throat> like, contained universe universe in the multiverse. Because I know they're about to do some multiverse shit with Flash. I wouldn't be surprised if they did that, because quite frankly, this Batman doesn't feel mature enough to be in the in the Justice League. I feel like if he tried to show up to the Justice League, they'd leave his ass behind. They'd be like, uh, sit down, little boy. We'll, we'll, we'll come get you next time, you know? Like, given the tone... It feels like they were just going for a more gritty Batman, but it was a very young Batman to me, which is odd because usually gritty Batman is older Batman, mature Batman. We've seen that before. Um, the mature Batman, the mature older Batman is darker and gloomier, but he also has clout. He done some shit and he's seen some shit, you know? I feel like this Batman's never even met Superman, <laughs> you know? So it's just, I don't, I don't think this one, I think this is a one-off. I think as far as like franchises go, if this becomes a franchise, and I think it is, I, I think it was just announced today that they're going to make a Batman too. Um, I think this is probably not going to get folded into the DCEU. <clears throat> Let's talk about Joker. Joker had a brief plug in the film. There was like a five minute long scene, which already overly long, where they were trying to in inject the Joker and kind of, it felt kind of a little bit half-assed, honestly. It felt like, hey, okay, we need to somehow bring the Joker in here. How do we do it? Okay, let's have him talk to the fucking Riddler in the Ar Arkham Asylum through their cells for five minutes and say crazy shit. <laughs> like, it just felt like forced bait for a sequel. Um, and it, it just, ah, it was, ah, it was just cringy. I really don't envy Barry Cogan. He's a really good actor too. Like there, this, this cast was fucking stacked guys. Like this, they really had all the tools to make this a good movie and it just, it just failed them. It failed the actors. Um, and I don't envy Barry Cogan cause quite frankly, ever since Heath Ledger, it feels like any, any Joker that departs from that is not going to be well received, you know? And as a result, we just get cookie cutter, copy paste. Like, you know, Jared Leto, love him or hate him, guys. His Joker was different. I applaud him for doing something different. I liked his Joker because it was different. It was a different take. He was not trying to emulate Heath Ledger. He was trying to be his own Joker and he fucking did it. So props to Jared fucking Leto. This Joker felt like it was trying too hard. It felt like he was like just trying too hard to be cringy. And if anything, it was it felt like a teaser for the makeup more than anything. Um, and the makeup is supposed to be like super scary looking, which, eh, okay, fine. But I just, it just, it didn't need to be a five minute scene. Um, funny enough, they actually released a, uh, a, a, a cut, a cut, uh, scene between Batman and Joker that I think was a better one. I think that would have been a better plug for Joker, a better cameo. I really wish they put that in here there instead of this scene. I think this scene could have been cut and they could have put that in instead. It was basically um, while Bruce was trying to investigate the murders, he went to Joker saying, hey, there's a murder. I need you to look at this. And then the Joker was taunting him. I thought that would have been way better, a way better like introduction to Joker. I don't know why they didn't do that. I don't know. The verdict. I wanted this movie to be good, guys. I know you guys heard me shit on this movie for the past 20 minutes, but... Believe me when I say I really wanted this movie to be good. I love superhero movies. I love superhero movies and I love Batman, but I was so sorely disappointed and it made me so damn sad. I, it, 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 
it saddens me to say I give this movie a two out of ten. I would have given it a six out of ten if they would have cut the last hour off. <laughs> but that last hour was kind of like the tip over the edge. This is a bad movie. The supporting actors' performances were not enough to save this this totally misused villain horribly directed Bruce Wayne and extremely weak handling of the plot and writing. So sad, saddens to say, I say, go watch it anyway, form your own opinion. This is just my opinion. Um, but that is, we need to talk. All right, let's move into our last segment of pop your culture. Uh, anticipation. So this is the segment where I talk about the stuff that I'm most excited about for the next month. So starting with multiverse of I'm so fucking excited about this fucking movie. Oh my God, I bought my ticket like two weeks ago. I'm gonna watch it at opening night. I'm gonna watch it at opening fucking night, guys. We might even do like a, 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 a lightning episode of Did Y'all See That the next day just to fucking talk about it because I'm gonna wanna talk about it. Oh my God, I'm so fucking excited about it. So I think I might do that. Um, yeah, God, I'm so stoked for this. Better Call Saul season six. This actually season already started, but I am horribly behind in this show. So my goal for the next month is to binge through Better Call Saul um, and get through season six. And who knows if it's good enough, then it may be a topic for our next. Did y'all see that? We'll see. Evil Dead, the game. So this is like a Dead by Daylight-esque game on Evil Dead, which I love those, those if you guys know me, like, we just got talk, done talking about Evil Dead, the musical. Like, I love that fucking musical, and I love those movies, and I really want to play this game. I need people to play with those. So, hey, y'all, if anybody wants to play Evil Dead, the game, when it comes out, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> but yeah, Evil Dead, the game, this is going to be a good one. Obi-Wan Kenobi. So this is another, the next like Star Wars Disney Plus show, um, which is based on Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan Kenobi from the prequels. I actually plan on watching this and I really, I really hope that it's, it, it's not a prerequisite that we have to like watch the other Star Wars Disney Plus shows like, like Mandalorian and the Bad Batch and the Book of Boba Fett because I haven't seen any of them and I have no intention to. So I really hope that I don't need to see those to appreciate these. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm excited for this one. Stranger Things season four. This is highly anticipated. Holy shit. This fucking, oh my God, I think season three came out in like 2018 or something. Like, I think the kids are supposed to be like fucking like 11 and 12, but the actors playing the kids are like 18 now. So how does that work? I don't even know, but it's it's it's, it's going to be good. I'm sure it's going to be really good. I mean, maybe, who knows? I'll, for all we know, they, they filmed this three years ago. We didn't even know. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited about this. Funny enough, this actually comes out the after our next episode. So I mean, I, I'm not even going to be able to see the episode before our next episode of uh, Did Y'all See That? And then finally, Kendrick Lamar is finally releasing a new album, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, and it comes out May 13th. I think I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a live stream where I'm listening to it, and I'll put the, the timestamps of what song I'm listening to, and I'll I think I'm going to react live. I'm going to do a live reaction stream to the album. I think that'd be pretty cool because I love Kendrick Lamar. I went to his last, uh, his last album was Damn, and I went to that concert, and it rocked, and I'm so fucking excited to hear some new music on him. And that is anticipation thank you guys so much that is part one of our podcast uh when we come back we will get going with uh, some some engaging conversation with uh, two amazing people so i'm gonna go on a quick five minute break and i hope you stick around for part two of our show let me take off spoiler alert and yeah all right see you in a bit
Okay, folks, and we are back with the second part of our show. Talk Gozy to me. Talk Gozy to me. Talk Gozy to me. Okay, our first guest this evening is a flying rock omnipotent god VTuber who is a variety streamer that loves open world games, RPGs, and the occasional 2000s emo karaoke stream. Please join me, folks, in welcoming on Shale. All righty. Our second guest is a VTuber who is also a variety streamer with a chaotic yet comfy vibe, and he performs uh, on stage IRL. Please help join me in welcoming Bonito. Hi, hi, everybody. Yes. All right, let's go ahead and kick off this, uh, this segment with a little bit of interviewing. So I'll start with Shale. Tell us a little bit about your brand, Shale. Okay, well, um, let's see. I've been, I've been streaming for a little over a year now. Um, I started, I started originally as just a small, like flying rock, pretty much just a head with wings. Um, and then July of last year, I ascended into this new form. Um, but yeah, as you said, I'm a variety streamer, play tons of different games, um, of all different genres. But more recently, I would say within the last like four or five months, I just became obsessed with open world survival craft games like, uh, seven days to die grounded valheim subnautica the forest pretty much like all of them so <laughs> um nice. but uh sometimes i do karaoke streams and very rarely do art streams um but i've had an art block for like almost a year now and i need to get out of it <laughs> but uh but yeah that's pretty much it very nice very nice what what makes you so passionate about the type of content you create well, I honestly, I just love to entertain people. I remember when I was in grade school, I had a teacher tell me that I should be a radio host. And uh, that kind of stuck with me throughout my whole life. Um, and also, I love being, I, I love anime. So like being an actual anime character is like one of the coolest things ever. <laughs> um, not to mention um, being someone with ADHD. I have like a really hard time sticking to a hobby before giving it up. Like, not too long after I start. So, but like being a VTuber, I'm so determined. It's, it's crazy. It's like nothing else. All right. I feel you on that ADHD. I feel like all good VTubers uh, have ADHD, myself included. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's some advice that you can give other smaller content creators just starting out? Um, first of all, turn off your damn viewer account. Um, <laughs> staring at a number is is just going to mess with you. Um, so turn it off and, and pretend like you're streaming to a hundred people. Just like keep talking. Um, also like things take time. So don't expect to blow up immediately. Like I've been doing this for a long time and I haven't blown up and I'm fine with it. I mean, I, I have a good time. I have fun and that's what it's all about. Um, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. People don't blow up immediately, but it's super rare. And, uh, Another thing would be like when you're just starting out, be really thrifty. You know, there's so many um, different assets that are free out there that you can get overlays, BGMs, um, all types of stuff. And like start as a, a PNG tuber too, because like you don't want to spend like a ton of money on a model that, you know, you might decide you don't like doing this. So um, mm -hmm. I would just recommend not spending a bunch of money right away. That's good advice. Absolutely. 
If you suddenly hit it big and became just this huge streamer with seemingly unlimited resources, time, money, et cetera, how do you think that would change your brand? Um, honestly, I think I'd like to do more to support the community and support smaller VTubers. Um, I honestly love the community and uh, I see VTubers like larger VTubers like Iron Mouse do uh, VTuber deep, deep dive sometimes. And, you know, it helps to discover new VTubers. Um, but I actually would like to do more for the community, like interviews, um, open collabs, ghost raids, um, you know, stuff like that. Nice. Very nice. I like that commitment to the community and making every everybody uplifting each other. <clears throat> yeah. Any upcoming projects uh, you want to promote? Well, I don't have much. Um, I do have a model update that is still very, very early concept right now. Um, so I don't really have much to share about it, but, you know, maybe be on the lookout later this year. Okay. Um, and then also I've been toying with the idea of doing a fresh Elden Ring playthrough while drinking. <laughs> where every where every time I die, I gender bend voice changer and all pretty much. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Yep. That sounds fun. Okay, thank you, Shale. Let's go ahead and move on to Bonitos, get, get a little interview going. Tell us about your brand. Oh boy. Um my brand. Uh I, I think I've described it before as like kind of comfy chaotic, where um I just I don't know. It's it's do you want to hang out? with your buddy on the couch while we play games that's kind of what my streams are like um i'm just kind of there to make you laugh and have a good time and uh forget about what's going on in the world uh for a couple hours i like that i like that a lot because i know definitely everybody could use a, a distraction from the world every now and then <laughs> mm -hmm. what uh what makes you so passionate about that that type of content of being that that comforting i guess source for for folks yeah, um, so I've, I've been doing uh, comedy uh, for over a decade uh, live. I, I do um, I do improv. I've done some stand-up. I didn't love it as much, but I've been doing improv for um, over a decade, and I've traveled um, uh, internationally for festivals and stuff, and the thing that I've always found is that, like, making people laugh to me is... Uh, this, this sounds so, like, self-indulgent, but, like, making <laughs> people laugh to me is, like, genuinely medicine in a lot of ways. Mm. Um and it is that thing of just like, like I said, you know, when, when I, when I do this, uh, when I perform live, it's like, you're coming to my theater, welcome to my house. And for the next two hours, I don't know what, what type of day you've had or, or how bad it was or how good it was, but if it was bad, um, I hope that like for the next two hours and change, I can make you forget all of it. And maybe it's so good that you don't think about it for a couple hours after. Um, and that's what I'm, I'm so passionate about that because it's, it's for me, that's, that's a, a form of healing. And that's why it's important to me that like, uh, even though I'm in comedy, like being, being mindful of what my comedy is and, and who my comedy targets and um, punching up instead of punching down. Because um, the last thing I want to do is, is have someone have a bad day uh, or their day be worse after seeing me because, um, you know, I was insensitive via jokes or whatever. Absolutely. That's good yeah. that you they have that introspection, like, uh, like how, how your comedy affects your viewers like i feel like comedy in general um like like the whole thing with like will smith will smith and his wife and like like mm -hmm. chris fox had a really fucked up joke about his wife and like that happened so it's like it's, it's good to not that somebody's gonna come up and slap you sweet deal what's the biggest takeaway that you want your viewers to have when consuming your content um 
just to to be chill to each other. Whether um, I think, especially in the small VTuber community, uh, a lot of people in chat sometimes are also small VTubers, uh, and we're all supporting each other. We're all passing like the same twenty bucks around to each other in <laughs> subs and stuff. Yeah, which I love. Um, <laughs> but it's just to like, yeah, um, just just be chill to each other. All of us are are real humans behind behind our deal. Um, uh, even though we're uh, like. <laughs> Uh, like Shale was saying, it's like, it's cool to get to be an anime, um, <laughs> yeah. but it's real people behind this. And um, they're not, they're not rungs in a ladder for your personal fame. Um, they're not, they're not tools to be used uh, to get more followers. They're, they're people. So if you're not in this scene to, um, to, to make friends and have a good time and just like enjoy creating stuff with people, um, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be in it. Maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's the coolest interaction that you've ever had in either in your content or social media presence? Um, the coolest interaction I've ever had. Um, shoot, I'm trying to think of like if there's ever been a really cool time uh, with. Um, OK, I will I will say so not in my VTubing experience, but um, IRL, uh, I've gotten to work with Colin Mockery quite a few times. Oh, He's a big Canadian improviser um, to the point where like now he'll um he'll like i'll get facebook like he'll post my facebook wall on occasion it's really weird like in a good way <laughs> that rocks. Like, oh, hey like happy birthday and it's like what what is happening oh <laughs> um, my god who's like is it anyway that's really rocks <laughs> yeah so that's like that's probably been one of the coolest things um it, but honestly for me it's always just like getting to just talk to people and then being like hey i had like i had a bad day or, or whatever else and um them not having a bad time during my stream. I just, that's, that's what I live for. I love it. Oh, it's so wholesome. Okay. Any upcoming projects you want to promote? Oh, I don't think so. I got, I mean, I got some stuff on the horizon that I can't talk about. Um, uh, just from some, some changes to, I guess, um, me, but, uh, <laughs> but that's it. Okay. All right. With that, let's go ahead and, uh, thank you so much, Shale and Bonito. Let's go ahead and go into our next, uh, segment, which is on that real shit. Which is, which is effectively what the talk show part is called. We are talking about cancel culture, folks. What is it? What is its place in society? And when does it go too far? So let's start about. Let's start with like what what is cancel culture? You know, why do people get canceled? In in my experience, it feels like cancel culture really got its footing as, as as in its terminology with social media, right? When people get canceled on social media, but I think you can actually get canceled. You know, canceling has been around for a long time. Remember, like, The Scarlet Letter, if you read that book when you were a kid, and that, <laughs> that woman got branded a harlot, she got canceled. That's getting canceled, too. So uh, what do, what do y'all think, uh, Shayla Benito, about, uh, like, cancel culture? Like, what is it, and why do people get canceled? Um, <clears throat> well, I generally think that, you know, it's usually someone did something, I guess, questionable, um, and then word gets out, you know, and... You know, it spreads like fire. And pretty much after that, um, it can ruin someone's career completely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can I, can I like, <laughs> I don't know if this is like jumping ahead, but can I just like talk about how it's, it exists for um, marginalized groups and n- no one in power, okay. basically. Like that's, that's kind of my thing is like cancel culture is, for me, it's like not a real thing. And as mm. much as, None of the people that complain about getting canceled actually ever get canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people that speak up against people uh, using their power to, to be predators or, or abusive or whatnot, 
um, those are the people we we tend to not hear from anymore mm. after the fact. Um, mm -hmm. To me, that that's like the real. If, if there's a real part of cancel culture, it's that. That's a solid. Yeah, yeah, that's a solid point, actually. Yeah, because you're right. Like that's that's actually a follow up question I did have for later. Like like how how effective is is cancel culture? Like it it doesn't feel permanent. It seems like whenever I see someone get canceled. Um, usually I, I suppose for celebrities, that's a little bit more sticky. Um, like, like Michael Jackson's legacy is, is pretty whoosh, like, tarnished because of all mm. of that. Like even Kevin Spacey, like that's going to follow him until he dies. But like when you see like young kids, I, I saw a video like last February of like some college kid saying a racist thing. I think she said the N word or something on, in a video and she got canceled. Um, and she, the consequences she faced were, I think, her university, she got accepted to, rescinded her acceptance, which, okay. And then th that's about the last I heard of it. Like, two weeks later, we kind of never heard of it again. So it feels like cancel culture, when you're not famous, is not all that effective at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you are, are famous, it is sticky. Yeah, it carries with you for sure. Yeah. So that's why I wonder, like, what is the what is the effect of, of it? Like, why if it's if it's so ineffective in general, what's its place in society? Is it is it just for celebrities? Is it not for people of influence? And and as you mentioned, Bonita, like, what about the people that are like calling them out on the thing that they did? If if that person that they're calling out is a famous person, like in the Me Too movement, like like that that got so much traction because all of these people were speaking up against mm -hmm. this one person, right? But with that one person spoke up against that one person, their career is the one that gets 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 ruined. Not the person that not the abuser. It's the it's the it's the victim's career and livelihood that gets that gets ruined. So like let's let's talk about that. Oh geez. Um yeah there's uh I well I guess I mean the first thing that came to mind is that like look at um actually two two examples in recent award shows. Uh Louis C. K just won a Grammy for best comedy album who was mm -hmm. a dude who was canceled, or at least society would say he was canceled, um, but obviously not. He just won that Grammy, and uh, nothing about his new material is, like, apologetic. If anything, he's at, he's gone further into all of his jokes and punchlines are just minorities, um, mm -hmm. which, you know, the mask came off, basically. Mm -hmm. um, uh, people got upset when the mask came off. Uh, you look at, you mentioned Will Smith. Um, Will Smith smacked uh, Chris Rock, which we can have different opinions like um, about like if that was chill or not. Mm -hmm. But like he's getting banned from the Academy for 10 years and he's famous. But I feel like him being a black man plays into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. That felt it felt yeah harsh to me because I feel like there's plenty. I, I, it, it would be irresponsible for us as a society to not look at that, to look at that situation and not think that race maybe played a part in his getting a pretty harsh, like a much harsher punishment than perhaps somebody that was not black or, you know? Yeah. I mean, look at, look at Michael Jackson, like obviously for good reason, his legacy is tarnished, right. but like society has said, okay, we can do that versus Roman Polanski um, mm -hmm. or someone else who like, we largely people just don't give a shit about it. Exactly. I think Mick Jagger, like, dated mm -hmm. a 14 year old like it's yeah yeah it's it, which isn't it's not good it's definitely it's none about thing about that is good but i mean yeah. people people haven't really canceled mick jagger they still like his music but michael mm -hmm. jackson even and he's dead now and he still like has has this stuff following him into his grave so mm -hmm. what are you saying uh shale 
Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to bring I actually wanted to bring up someone in particular who was I thought they were they were canceled unfairly based on like a, a basically a group of people that just didn't like him and they made up a story because that happens too. Like sometimes stuff won't even be real and people get canceled for it. And the person I'm talking about is uh I don't know if you've heard of him before, his name is Dan Avidan. He mm. is uh is in uh, the band Ninja Sex Party. He's also on the YouTube channel Game Grumps, um, and he was supposedly uh, grooming some of his um, younger fans. And mm. you know, when everything came out, it turned out to be all all made up. Like he ended up ghosting this girl, but she was of age when he started like courting her, or whatever. Um, so it was still kind of a dick move what he did. But, like, the allegations was all brought up by just a group that just hates the Game Grumps and hates Dan for no reason. Mm. And, like, if you know Dan, like, from the Game Grumps, yeah, his music is kind of, you know, very sexual and stuff. But, like, he is a very kind, you know, person. And he's, like, you know, like a sweetheart type person. And and the allegations were just, like, way crazy. And, and like, I was so upset when I heard about that. And... You know, then when the truth came out, it was, of course he didn't do that, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's actually a good, a good, another, that's actually a good, another good segue um, when it comes to what, when does it go too far, right? What, uh, the things that people get canceled for these days are like, for example, going through decade old, old tweets, like similar to, to the, to the gentleman you just mentioned, um, like James Gunn got canceled because he, he tweeted something that was anti-trans like 10 years ago. Um, and he got fired from, he got fired from directing um, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which he, he got rehired later, which, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, so is that like, it's like, is that okay? Like, is it, is it, or, or, or for another, another thing, if a company runs an ad that's unintentionally offensive, like there, I think it, I forget which, which clothing company was, might've been Gap or something, but I saw an ad 10 years ago where they had like a little black kid with a monkey t-shirt on and they didn't see why that, why there was something wrong with that. Um, another thing, longstanding brands and media that have always been offensive, but only are just now getting called, called out like Aunt Jemima, the cereal, the syrup, the syrup. Uh, um, so like, what about those type of things? Like, when does it go too far? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's 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 intention. Like it, a lot of the um, the examples you brought up, um, like for me, man, my Twitter ten years ago was probably a complete mess because I was an idiot ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that I think I think that's why the cancel part of it is is I think or like in the naming itself is unfortunate because I think people need to. Not every case. I think some people do stuff that's horrendous enough where it's like, cool, you just need to not exist publicly in society. Like mm-hmm. you don't have the privilege anymore. You can exist privately and whatever, mm-hmm. but you don't need to be public anymore. Um, but I think there's things where it's like you you have to give humans space to grow and resources to grow and resources to get better. Because um, if you don't do that, uh, you they become isolated. And then the only people that are going to... Uh, that are going to appeal to them or that are going to say like, Hey, I'm going to stick up for you are other shit bags. Mm-hmm. Um, and you should yeah. be able to like not <laughs> be drawn in that, by that, but I'm also not going to expect someone to like emotionally bootstrap themselves out of being surrounded by awful people to mm-hmm. get better from that pit. Like they still need a resource. That resource should never be the victims. 
of those things mm -hmm. of people that are affected by that stuff otherwise but i think like if you have the emotional bandwidth to help people when they when they screw up like it's it's a good thing to do if they are open and willing to it if they're not open to it though like then that's on them right yeah. i agree yeah, yeah, definitely the people that like double down. It's definitely like two types of people you see when they get canceled. The ones that like are quick to go into the note the notes app apology, and then there's the <laughs> folks that the folks that uh, double down and triple down, and I've even sometimes quadruple yeah. down on yeah. on the wrong thing. And I feel like so before I answer, like why do y'all think that people do that? Why do you think people like double and triple instead instead of seeing things from other perspectives? Why do you think they just like get get offensive when they get canceled? I think they're just. I think it's 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 born out of fear, like they don't know what to do. Um, a lot of the times, I just want to bring like the only thing that comes to mind really is uh, I don't remember which VTuber it was recently, a bigger one. Um, was it like Bunny or whatever? Um, that whole situation, like, was just such a mess, and like, I don't even know, like, because it was it was just so bizarre that you. You try to like after after it it had came out, you know that you try to like deny it when there was all this proof and everything, and then you have to like bring your own proof to show that you know it's just it's just stupid to me. Like if if you get caught something and you know you did it, fess up. You know it's it's only gonna it's only gonna make things worse if you try to keep doubling down and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's harder for me to understand when you're not famous because i'm just like then for me it's like yeah fear definitely shale that's like a great thing to bring up um and ego which to me yeah. egos ego is a product of fear right ego is mm -hmm. is the fear of being wrong um yeah. because if you admit that you're wrong about one thing then your entire reality that you've built is potentially also wrong and then your reality crumbles and like that's where like cognitive dissonance comes in and why people double down on stuff right yeah. um Whereas if you're famous, you're surrounded by people that like their entire job is to make you comfortable and to mm -hmm. make you like if you uh, if you've ever been on like a, a, a set for like a movie or a TV show, if you're talent, if you're an actor, everyone is just there to make sure that you're in the best mindset to do what you need to do in front of the camera, mm. no matter what. Like everyone's juicing you up constantly. And it's weird. It's super weird. <laughs> but people get used to that. People get really used to that and used to that treatment. And so like um, it's. It's awful, but I understand why people do double down because at a point I think that absolutely gives you brain worms. <laughs> um, and mm -hmm. you like, there's no, you just, you can't be wrong, right? Um, that's why like I mentioned Louis C.K. earlier, like his comedy has always been offensive, but there is a layer of like self-awareness or a layer of like, I know I'm being the asshole or this offensive thing I'm saying is in service to a commentary about how messed up this thing is. Um, that used to be his shtick. And I was looking at some of the material from his new album and there's none of that anymore. It's just like, here are some jokes where the punchline is literally just racism mm. or literally just a slur. Like there's no, there's no anything to it. Um, and again, that's me. It's like, that's someone that just doubled down on, well, I, I got a new audience now, I guess. So time to appeal to them. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> okay. So, Let's move into like what its place in society is. Who is right? You know, I feel like cancel culture, 
tends to be associated with liberal people more, but I see people get, I see conservative people canceling people all the time. I don't watch a lot of Fox News, but when I, the clips I do see, they cancel shit all the time. So it's like, who is right? Like, who has the authority to cancel if it's, you know, is it all just arbitrary? Like, just depends on who the group is. Like, who is right in society? I mean, I guess it, it kind of depends on the situation. Like, in in all, like, you know, the overall picture of everything. Um, like, some people obviously deserve, like, depending on the nature of what happened, they super deserve it, especially if it's something that they're proud of or you know, that they feel like they didn't do anything wrong. Um, and it was like something really bad, then yes, of course, I, I feel like that person definitely needs to be canceled. Um, but, but sometimes it feels like, like the whole situation with, um, with Dan that I was talking about was just, just people didn't like him. So they wanted to make something up. And I felt like that's going too far. You know, if you're trying to like actually make stuff up that isn't true, you know, just because you don't like somebody, then that's that's too too far of an extreme. Hmm. Yeah, like I, as far as like, yeah, who's right? Um, it's interesting because I think part of why I think it gets so popular or like the idea of cancel culture gets popular is because people want to be righteous. Like you mm -hmm. want to feel righteous in your actions. You want to feel like you're standing up and sticking up for people. Um, and uh, I think I see, I see a lot of this in... Um, uh, and younger people when things are much more black and white because like emotionally you're more passionate mm -hmm. um and i just see like a lot of it i see a lot of it in the the in the vtuber community too in the indie vtuber community mm -hmm. where it's like i think the intention is good but sometimes it's like oh like this is just to you just are doing this to feel right or righteous yourself or to get internet points um mm -hmm. and and not like in like dogpile because it feels you want that serotonin hit right Versus like, what are we doing to actually like make this situation better um, for the victims? And if there's a path for rehabilitation for, for the offender, um, if that, and when I say offender, like I, I want to be really clear, like some shit's illegal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's like a different, that's a different category, right? right. Um, versus like, you know, like with the Dan Avidan thing, I remember when that happened and I was just like, oh, okay. Like once it got cleared up and like even the person who brought it up said like, oh, this is not actually how it went down. Um, like, it sounded like he was kind of engaging in uh, kind of like shitty dude behavior, but mm. nothing that's not like a thing that you tell your dude friend, like, yo, you should maybe not do that. <laughs> You're being yeah. an asshole. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think, and I, and I don't think it's uh, i I'm a like radical leftist. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think it's like a, a purely, like you said on Fox news, like they cancel everything. Mm -hmm. There's actually, it's really funny. Um, uh, Cawthorn, who is a, uh, oh, is he a senator or a congressperson uh, who's young? The GOP doesn't cancel anyone for anything. But the scandal right now is like some photos of him at some like cocaine fueled orgy thing. And because <laughs> it plays into weird, uh, uh, weird aspects of the GOP and toxic masculinity and queerness and other mm -hmm. things, they are out for him. Like, oh, yeah, they're they are like infighting like to get him gone because I think it it goes against some of like their internal values versus someone else in the GOP will like do something far worse. Oh yeah. Than, like a cocaine party and no one says shit. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think, I think it's just, it's a bludgeon that people use to get rid of people they don't like and feel better about themselves frequently. Yep. 
Do y'all think that clout? Because you mentioned with the v, the the VTuber community, I see it a lot. When mm-hmm. um, it really really does snowball, it really starts with, like a VTuber Twitter. When somebody posts something that's kind of appalling, and people like like and tweet retweet it, then uh, like a day or two later, you start seeing everybody say their their two cents on it. And this person says, "Oh, I did this," and then it starts feeling like clout chasing a little bit to me. Yeah. Like people just hopping on it just to be like, "I'm on the right side of this." What do you guys think about yeah. that? The clout the clout aspect of it. Yeah, I definitely agree. It sometimes. You know, it can it can seem like that, or, or people people do that. Um, I mean, especially if it's something from like a, a big, you know, VTuber, um, then it seems like everybody's got to put their two cents in. And some stuff, you know, seems like yeah, that's a good point and all, but like when it seems like copy pasted, or if it seems like not really genuine, then you're like, I think this person's just cloud chasing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you see, um, I mean, it's. It's unfortunate in the indie VTuber community, there's, I mean, probably right now, like two twit longers (laughs) or or like a week um, Mm -hmm. that are, are, or Google Docs that are like big call outs. Um, This is going to be probably the most, (laughs) this might be the most controversial thing I say. Um, For me, me, for me, that's like, um, yes, if people pose a threat to people or pose a harm to people, like we should let the community know so that um, other people don't get hurt. I do see some shit sometimes where I'm just like, this y'all could have talked about this. <laughs> I don't need to see mm, this. Like privately. And like, and not just from a like, I don't need to see this. Like for people that are victims of similar things, or for people that are easily triggered by that shit, it's like it's all over the timeline. Um mm-hmm. so sometimes I see that stuff and I'm just like, I'm not saying like don't speak up and don't try to try to protect people because speaking up is how we protect each other in communities like this. Um, especially when there are people that are abusing the anonymity of like that comes along with VTubing. Um, but yeah, sometimes it just feels like like th- this could this could have been a thing I didn't need to see or like we all not all of us have to like dogpile on this to try to get some likes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I, I don't think I don't think people I hope people aren't doing that stuff with that in mind. But I do think subconsciously there is a, a, a little, like I said, you want to you wanna feel righteous. You want to feel whatever. To, to the point where, like, I feel weird if I speak up about a thing or if I, like, talk about a thing that is, is uh, tweet about a thing like that. Because, I don't know, man, that, that's also, <laughs> the guys that are really vocal about that stuff are usually the next person in the next tweet longer. You know what yeah. I mean? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, it makes me feel, I'm like, ah, like, I just don't want to give that vibe. Yeah. Like, I kind of feel the same way. Like, I don't want to, like, insert myself. Like, because sometimes there'll be times where I, like, want to reply and I'll be, like, halfway through the tweet, but then I'll be like, no, backspace, 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 backspace. No, we're not sitting. <laughs> <I've done laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Finally, um, is cancel culture healthy? You know, is it is it healthy? If, if And if it's not healthy, what are other ways that we can hold people accountable for their actions? Uh, especially in the public, in the public base, both both on the large scale with celebrities and 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 people with a lot of influence, and even smaller on the smaller scale, with smaller people, do yeah, things. Um, I honestly don't know. Mm. <laughs> I don't know what could like what you could do to like improve it or change it or or to make it any better. Um, I feel like it it does have a place, um, and sometimes it's executed properly. And sometimes it's not. And, you know, you just don't know how it's going to go. But I feel like people, you know, need to get all the facts straight 
before they, you know, go pointing fingers and everything, I feel like there needs to be some sort of like system, but I mean, it, it's, it's impossible. Um, but you know, I mean, I feel, I feel like people should just like get the whole story straight before pointing fingers and, you know, get all everything. Cause a lot of people, they won't even read like the entire twit longer or whatever. They'll, <laughs> they'll just see the tweet and they'll be like, Oh yeah, let's go. You know? And, uh, that's kind of how it snowballs a lot of times and people don't even know the full, the full story, you know? Yeah. I think it's, to me, it's just thinking about what does your contribution do? Like, mm. does it benefit the community or the situation in any way? Like, I know we love to dunk on people on twitter.com. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I get it. I like it. The Like, we all enjoy it. If someone's acting like an idiot, it can feel really good to be like, you're acting like an idiot. Um, but, but when it comes to this stuff, especially trying to like keep the victims in mind that are the people that have, have dealt with this stuff. Like, does this benefit them? Does your yeah. action benefit them? Um, does it help them? And if not, uh, maybe pull back. Mm -hmm. Like maybe you don't need to hop into the conversation. Maybe you don't need to do the thing. I think, um, platforming those voices is a great way to do it. Like, uh, especially if you have a larger following so that more people get eyes on it so that more people are aware, um, or more people can educate themselves. Um, but like, you know, maybe you don't, you don't need to have your like hilarious GIF reply. Um, I said GIF mm -hmm. for the first time in my life. GIF. Good Lord. <laughs> um, a different controversial topic. <laughs> um, but yeah. I, I, and I just think it's a matter of like, you gotta, like I said before, even, even in these cases, think about what's best for the victims. And for me, part of that is like, if there is a path to rehabilitation for the people that did these things, it has to be, be there for them. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I had a, um, I had an acquaintance up in Canada who was a performer who I knew for a long time, like a mentor, um, uh, who was like really cool. And then it came out that he was like a serial sexual harasser. Um, mm -hmm. and this is, this is during the me too stuff that had happened. And, um, and we were all just like taken aback by it. And, uh, one of his best friends, uh, I was like, Hey, how you holding up? Cause this is like, this is your guy. Uh, and he was like, well, I just told him, uh, I don't condone anything he did, obviously. He screwed up, but I'm here to talk if he wants to get better. Mm -hmm. um, and he was, he was there to talk to him, but then the dude just, he doubled down. They, they would have conversations and at some point it would be like, well, these women ruined my career and blah, blah, blah. And at a point he had to be like, all right, man, you don't want to get better. So I can't be here for you anymore. Mm -hmm. If you change your mind on that, you can let me know. But until then, you know, we don't have a relationship anymore. And I think we need to see more of that from people that have the emotional bandwidth to do it because otherwise people it's gonna be hard for people to grow and get better yeah interesting you mentioned that so you do you feel like like people that still enjoy kevin spacey's movies and still enjoy r kelly's music and stuff like that's actively perpetuating um the bad behavior like that's it's it's kind of counteracting against the accountability you think i mean i think i think there's a i think you can be clear about your ethics when engaging with like the work right um i'm never gonna give uh, uh jk rowling money again <laughs> mm -hmm. right um but i also understand like i have friends who harry potter was like integral to their childhoods and like mm -hmm. their relationships with their parents even so i can't like judge them for consuming that content i'm just like 
um, steal from J.K. Rowling if you can. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're totally just ethically, ethically dubious as well, I guess, but I think in, in the right way. Um, and yeah. then, yeah, you mentioned like Kevin Spacey and like, or I think like Woody Allen comes to mind too as, a, as another like, uh, like a big comedic actor. And I'm like, you can, you can engage with problematic content and you can engage with problematic things made by like problematic or even just straight up shitty people as long as you are aware and I think that you're not like propagating it. Like, I'm not going to be like, yo, you should go watch this Woody Allen movie. But if I want to watch that movie and be fully aware that he's a piece of shit, I think that's okay. Solid point. Do you think that some t some of the responsibility falls on like the people that make that content? So like so like Woody Allen or even Blazing Saddles, Blazing Blazing Saddles, Mel Brooks movie mm -hmm. that was like a totally in very offensive, but it was a, a satire. Do you think it's the the studio that created that movie and continues to distribute that movie? It's their responsibility to say, hey, put a content warning on this, you know. Or, or they, do you do you think that responsibility just really falls on the people that produce those that that um, to 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 acknowledge that it isn't okay? Like I guess the the root of my question is the stuff that's like historically bad that is considered mm -hmm. not I guess PC today. You know, mm -hmm. is 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 it where, where does that responsibility lie? Um, I think it depends. But like the one thing I see, and I was actually thinking about this earlier, is when you were talking about brands, is like Disney. Mm -hmm. um, I go back and watch a lot of old Disney cartoon movies because that's kind of like the thing I'm into. Um, but I, I go back and I watch them on Disney Plus and there'll be content warnings. Mm -hmm. You know, like back then, you know, things, this is just how things were or whatever, but like it's not okay today and it wasn't okay then, but we're just warning you about this before the movie starts. And, and uh, you know, I think that's cool. Um, but I mean, I, I don't feel like it, should always be, you know, the, the job of, um, like the overall like creation, like when it comes to music, like the record company or whatever, um, to, you know, post that, um, especially if it's something that's become like common knowledge. Mm. Yeah. I think that's, um, I think it's actually for me, I think it's like actively not a good thing to erase that stuff because then how do we, I think it's important to learn from it and to see mm -hmm. it exist. Um, so the, yeah, the, the thing you mentioned with Disney, um, a lot of Looney Tunes cartoons do the same thing because there's a lot of them from some of the older eras that are like, oh, hey, this is like racist caricature or blackface or like um, there is some, uh, there is shit during like World War II that was really wild. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like giving those warnings off the top to say like, hey, here's the context of when this was made and what was going on. We're not like nothing that's happening here is good. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Let's make that clear. But mm -hmm. this is the context for it because the world was different. And then you can look at that and go like, oh, yeah, like it's I think it could be good to experience that stuff in the context so that you get a greater understanding of it, um, because that's what, like people people need to feel what's wrong sometimes. Yeah, like that's how, that's how kids learn. Like you have to like feel wrongness, not just read wrongness on occasion. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's important. To it i think I, I think that's and i and i want to i want to say like um yeah I, I, that's really important to it so i think that stuff should should still exist just give it context absolutely yeah i just think you mentioned that because you're right like like there's there's like definitely efforts in some parts of of the united states where like um they want to like whitewash parts of history that they deem undesirable and that's kind of mm -hmm. the same kind of idea like we don't want to do that so we should definitely shouldn't 
you know, delete Breakfast at Tiffany's and Rush mm. Hour and Animal House and all these movies that were offensive. Like, they definitely... But we should acknowledge, like, as we watch them today, we can laugh at the jokes, but just acknowledge that is not a good joke. <laughs> and yeah. it's honestly, we should have acknowledged it back then, back when it was in the heyday, when that was, like, considered okay. Like, we should have yeah. acknowledged then, like, no, it's not okay. <laughs> but, yeah. And, like, that's, for me as a comedian, that's a big, like, I, I truly believe anything can be joked about and anything can be talked about. Like, mm -hmm. that is a belief I have as, as a comedian. Um, but, like, it's how you do it that's important and and what like i said what your target is right you should be speaking truth to power um uh you should be making sure that you're punching up and not down um and you can still you can make a funny joke i think about anything but it takes it takes a deft hand that most people don't have and and to be honest like most of these like white dude comedians <laughs> are too lazy to spend the time on figuring out mm. yeah all right well, I think that's all I got. Um, any last remarks on, on cancel culture? Okay, sweet deal. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I think that's pretty much it for me. So. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, we kind of we kind of hit all the hit all the all the all the pieces here. Um, I'll go ahead and transition to the question and answer phase. Let's see if there's any questions. Let me skip that open over here. Q&A, questions asked. Looks like we have no questions. All right, so we do. In that case, um, <laughs> thank you so much again, Shale and Bonita, for coming on to the show tonight. This is a really good conversation. Like, uh, cancel yeah. culture is a fascinating topic. It's very complex. And, um, mm -hmm. yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, yeah, uh, audience. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you, audience, for tuning in as well. This episode will be live on all major podcast pro platforms on Friday morning. Uh, my name is Ngozi Mai, and thank to give, audience, give a, I guess, a virtual round of applause for our two guests here, Shayla and Bonito. Uh, and this has been Did Y'all See That? I hope to see y'all next time. All right, y'all. Bye. <laughs>